Hello and welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. I am as always Elaine, and with me there are two other human beings. I am Fletcher. And I am Adam. And we are completely in sync today. Well, by your perspective, we will be completely in sync because I will chop and screw this recording until it sounds seamless. Hey, I've actually released a chopped and screwed podcast before and that's fun. But... Today, we are, as always, exploring a new record in our chronology of 2000 pop-punk and emo-pop records that charted between 1999 and 2013. Good Charlotte. By Good Charlotte is the thing that we're talking about today. It's a pop-punk record that charted worse than AFI while getting supported by a major, but it charted, so we're talking about it. Who charted? Charlotte charted. Who's on first? No, who's on second? Before we get into a bunch of stuff that we have to talk about, did any of you have any prior experience with Good Charlotte? I'd heard way more of this album than I expected. Huh. Like non-singles. I definitely heard some of this stuff on... We will get there. There's a specific song that I'm pretty sure I heard on Malcolm in the Middle, but I cannot find any reference of that. I actually wrote that about one track. This definitely played over the closing of a Malcolm in the Middle episode. But yeah, I knew some of their singles. I always thought they were sort of like a bottom tier, like pop punk band. They were ne never like good. But honestly, this record, I don't hate it. I... I don't know if they took a plunge afterwards or if, like, I completely misjudged them because this record, I appreciate things from it. Adam, did you have any prior experience with Good Charlotte? I'd, like, heard of them. Acquaintances of mine had been like, yeah, Good Charlotte when we were teenagers. But as far as this album goes, I've never heard any of the songs on it. I don't think I have could off the top of my head name any songs by them that I've heard that I recognized as them so with that set up let's go into well we should normally go into the history but uh, I will give it to Fletch before for the obligatory there was the part where 24 year old Joel Madden in a very pop punk move dated 16 year old Hilary Duff that was a relationship which did not last, but was uh, closer to this time period than we like to discuss. Yeah, it, it happened a while after this record, and uh, it's gross. Not something I support in any way. No, thanks. Ayo. Uh, anyhow, with this set up, we, we, this needed to be mentioned, and we do not support that, and that sucks, and it's bad, and blah. Um, let's go into the story of the band. I wish I had a more, more graceful segue, but I don't. <laughs> I 
It's a pretty quick one because unlike a lot of guys, they came up pretty fast from where they are to this album. They all attended La Plata High in Waldorf, Maryland, which puts them in a rougher part of the state, at least in terms of economic upbringing. Yeah, if there's anything that I'll give to this guy is that anything that I found in my research pretty much highlighted that they came up from very humble beginning. They were working class, went to the public high school. The Madden brothers, which are the guitar player and the singer, were raised by a single mother. This is not a sick situation where it was like, oh, our drummer was the son of a fucking record executive and suddenly we got a contract. It, it definitely feels like these people like are just got incredibly lucky more than coming from any kind of privilege. This is a very what if Malcolm in the Middle met Josie and the Pussycat story. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is. What if all those boys decided instead of like flinging things and being feral little animals, they were going to learn to play an instrument and maybe have a talking shark. A talking shark? Hanna-Barbera is a very, very weird studio. Now they're just part of the Warner Brothers animation machine, so... Rip to them. Sad. And we still get Scooby-Doo out of it. I'm happy with that. With the theme song by Simple Plan. Yes. And sometimes Matthew Lillard is Shaggy. And sometimes it's uh, uh, an eldritch horror. And sometimes it's literally Twin Peaks. That happened. Oh, I don't want to watch that. Oh, Oh, did you not know about that series? No, I, I don't. Uh, Mystery Inc. is quite good, but it does literally have a Twin Peaks episode, including the Black Lodge. Also, in that series, the reason why Scooby-Doo can talk is because he's descended from uh, an ancient race of aliens that only visit Earth every couple millennia or so. I mean, I'm fine with that. I just don't see Scooby-Doo doing Twin Peaks properly. I will say, as a fan of both, they actually did. That was also the series that had Harlan Ellison as the town crank. They knew what they were doing. I'm just, I just think that a lot of like depictions of Twin Peaks in media feel like people remembering Twin Peaks rather than people having watched Twin Peaks. It's like, Twin Peaks is not as weird as people remember it. No, until The Return. Yeah, no, The Return is like amazing and like it's weird and it's completely like counter culture but you know do you remember the in the simpson when they have the twin peaks on tv and it's just like oh a horse dancing with a teapot or something and it's just like no that's over the garden wall yes that was one of two twin peaks references they did i actually thought the other one was funnier it was in the middle of who shot mr burns and wiggum has a dream in the black lodge with lisa speaking backwards until she finally gets so fed up she's just screaming a clue a clue and he wakes up and goes oh my god what if there's no i forget (laughs) yeah okay remember that one that one was okay this is secretly a twin peaks slash scooby-doo slash simpsons podcast you heard it here first folks Scooby-Doo is very pop-punk. It is. Twin Peaks, depending on the season, is more like an industrial noise act. (laughs) Well, yes, the return is very different from the rest of Twin Peaks, and that's why it's good. It's like, oh, you want the nostalgia? Fuck you, said David Lynch, and made one of the weirdest and best things on TV that 
wherever on TV. Hey look, it's Nine Inch Nails for no reason in the middle of the episode. Now back to an entirely different story. Also excellent, excellent musical guests at the end of each episode. Like, yes. Great stuff. Speaking of the 90s, both of the brothers especially say they have influences in punk via Green Day and hip-hop via the Beastie Boys, which makes sense because they were middle-to-lower-class white kids who would have found things that were similar to their own status in the middle of Maryland. So, most of their interviews talk about how they were bullied in high school during those years, and a bit of that makes its way onto this album. The band was formed, in again, in high school. This was around... 1996, 1997, and uh, founding formation, which will not change a lot through the years. Only the drummer gets a bunch of changes. Joel and Benji Madden, the eponymous Madden brothers, who are on voice and guitar. Billy Martin on also the guitar. Paul Thomas on bass and Aaron Escolopio on drums. In 97, the Madden brothers graduate high school and decide that they cannot afford college, so they will focus on the band. They began touring around and giving out demos during this period. They described the initial vision for the band in an interesting way, mentioning it as a mix of Backstreet Boys and Minor Threat, which I see way more Backstreet Boys in their music, but sure. That doesn't even sound like something I would want to listen to, though. I would definitely give it a shot. I'd be curious if you pitched that to me. So the rest of the history is pretty simple. Like, they tour, end up playing with some of the rising bands of the time. This is 1998, so, you know, you can imagine them playing, you know, being su- supporting Offspring, Blink-22, pre-Anima of the State. And eventually, they are noticed by people at the Annapolis-based radio station, WHFS, which starts heavily playing some of their demos, including the first single from this record, which makes sense, it's one of the strongest pop songs that they've wrote. And, but that still doesn't really get them anywhere. They mentioned that for a long while they were very much struggling economically, and that's where a couple of so- the songs on this record come from. But after touring as a support act for lit, of all people... Yeah, that's a very similar sound. They have a fairly lit energy. Good Charlotte is the lit to their lame. So after the tour with lit, eventually they befriend someone who worked in the mailroom at a Beltsville branch of Sony Mid-Atlantic. And this person gets one of their tapes to an executive who likes them and this lands them their first record deal in 1999. I am generally skeptic of these stories because they are... A bit cheesy, a bit like, oh, you sure, you befriended a mailman in the company. But honestly, for this guy specifically, they don't seem connected people. Like, looking at everything at their history, they generally seem like they came from pretty much nothing. So maybe the story is not completely accurate how they tell it, but, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be anything, you know, in any way shady in how they got their first contract record contract, they just seem incredibly lucky.
the record is basically, by all accounts, a re-recording of the demo they were handing out during and after high school. Most of the tracks being autobiographical, meant to relate to down-and-out teenagers, with a new pop polish thanks to the production of good old friend of the pod Don Gilmore. Yeah, the album will have a decent push by the label, three singles would be released, and each one will have their own video. Little Things, Festival Songs, and The Motivation Proclamation. This third one was also directed by Mark Webb, because why get someone who can direct things? <laughs> Honestly, I think it's the most interesting of the three videos, for what it's worth. I don't think any of them was particularly interesting, but I don't really remember them. Me either. That's the one that has the TVs and the very desperate drumming in an empty house. None of the singles will really chart in any significant way, and the record will follow suit. It debuts on the Billboard chart at number 185, in the same weeks in which AFI debuts at 174, which is, you know, big difference there, because AFI is a small indie band under Nitro, and they have Sony Mid-Atlantic behind them, so... Mm. That already doesn't bode well. I'm not surprised in the slightest. Even more damning, they still chart lower than Enema of the State, which, again, came out more than one year before this, and it's still on the chart at number 160. They'll be gone from Billboard the next week. And with that, we make our way into the album. That was a quick history. There's not much to them. They... Pretty much this is their first album ever. And they don't break out until the next one. Although, again, a lot of this got airplay, especially in my market. Yeah, this song is dedicated is good to every kid who ever got picked last in I'm gym saying. class. This is for you. To every kid who never had a date to no school dance. This is for you. To everyone who's ever been called a freak. This is for you. Here we, here we go. So, the first track here is The Little Things, which is also the first single. Honestly, good track. Yeah. So, honestly, like, this track feels sort of cheesy to me, but I think it's just because of a cultural background thing, because this track features, you know, a lot of stuff about high school and, you know, being bullied in high school, but it's all framed in a way that, to me, looks very much like, you know, teen high school show from TV, from America. Because to me, those tropes, like the jocks, the bullies, the whatever, those are like a TV thing. We didn't have that shit in high school. But huh. I don't know if that is actually like a thing in actual real American high school. So to me, it feels cheesy because it's stuff that I only ever experienced through like TV. So it's just like inherently fake to me. But... Uh, I, I don't know if that is correct, because I, 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 never, I never touched my feet in America, ever. <laughs> That's fine. We don't want your feet here, Ellie. I'm sure I can find someone on Twitter who will request feet from me. <laughs> it definitely happens, trust oh, me. Dear. I was going to say that, at the very least, when I was in high school, that was not a thing. I was probably one of the biggest terrors on campus as a nerd, but... 
I had friends from all across the spectrum, and I've been told this does depend on what region of the country you're in. I was coastal growing up, and I've heard that especially if you're in some of the smaller towns or Midwest regions, you might see something that's a little more stratified into some of that. So, Southwest Pennsylvania is not that far away from Maryland in comparison to California, but to me, I think it really comes down to, like, it wasn't, you know, jocks versus nerds. It was more kids that felt entitled versus the kids that didn't have that sense of entitlement. Preps versus squares. Like, like even when it comes to, like, jocks, there are the jocks that are like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this sport because this is, I could maybe go to college on it. And then there are the jocks that are playing football because they like to hit people. <laughs> this is a funny and remarkable punk song. It's sort of catchy. I like the tidbits of sort of sincerity in the lyrics. There's a lot of like stuff about, you know, their father leaving. Well, not a lot of stuff, but there are mention to their father leaving and their mother having to brace them on their own and so on and so on. You can definitely feel the rap influences. Madden singing, especially in the verses, is almost is rap adjacent. Like he almost has this this rap-like flow, which is supremely annoying to me. I don't think it works. It makes me miss Zebrahead, where they just both out went like we are going to rap on this record. This always keeps itself in sort of like this middle ground where it's not rap but it's not singing, and it sort of like doesn't really work that much. By the final tracks, I don't know if he's singing at all. Yeah. The vocal melodies are fine, though. The The chorus is catchy. That's the reason why this was a single. It's just like bubblegummy, summery, fun song with, you know, slightly above average lyrics. I think, like, you know... I have to protest bubblegummy because the first verse is, okay, high school problems, yo, I was a bullied kid. The second verse starts with, like, the time mom went to that institute because she was breaking down. And it ends with dad leaving for smokes and never coming back. That's not super bubblegummy. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say there's, like, an actual good degree of, like, actual, like, I don't know, writing. Not necessarily in terms of prose, but in terms of content. I think they, they, I don't know, they put some of themselves into the songs. And I think that's, like... That's that's worth something, even though I don't love this song overall. Good for them. <laughs> you don't seem to like this song, Adam. I yeah, I don't hate it. It just comes off as very trying to be relatable in a like, hello fellow teens. I too was bullied, and look at me now. Kind of a vibe, which I'm Please not... don't look at him now. He looks like you microwaved Smash Mouth. I would agree with this, but I think, like, reading about them, this song was literally written, like, when they, you know, around the time where they were in high school or directly post-high school, so... Maybe it's just because I don't vibe with the, like, sort of rap-adjacent... Like, if they had gone more like, yeah, we're gonna rap about this, I'd be like, oh, cool. Or if they had been like, yeah, we're gonna sing about this, I'd be like, okay. But like that sort of slow, half-sing rap, just in combination with that kind of content is just kind of like, uh. Also, they somehow managed to do the woes 
in a way that I didn't like, which is nuts because I love woes. <laughs> Adam, I'm going to make you a pitch. How much would you have preferred this? Song? How much would it have improved or lessened this song? If at the start, when he's speaking to you, with this is for you, here we go. And he's doing the oh woes. He put on a baseball cap and turned it around. <laughs> See, that would have at least been funny. I think this is one of the strongest. I think this is the one that I'm going to find myself humming the beats to. But also, the lyrical content is very personal and actually kind of a kick in the teeth if you focus on it. And then we go to the next one, Waldorf Worldwide, which I actually like even more lyrically. Bring in the verse. Uh, listen up, cause there ain't nothing funny. I want a hot girl and a little bit of money. I want a little house where my band can live. Cause we're tired of moving every other weekend. I want to go to parties where they got no guns. I want to rock with my band. I want to have a little fun with thugs and punks. And any other type to sing this song. And we'll sing it all night. This song has a weird bizarro ska energy to it. Repeated chants, come on, get up, get up, get up, get up, funky guitar, slower beat. Oh, yeah, you say ska, I say this has a very Bare Naked Ladies energy. Bare Naked Ladies is the band I was looking for, because in the middle of this record, I was going, this feels very Mighty Mighty Boss Tones? No, that's not right. Bare Naked Ladies is the perfect equivalent. My problem is that even Bare Naked Ladies went a bit more bulls out with their rap and actually had rapping on it. This is, again, more of rhythmic singing, but not quite singing and not quite rapping, which is fairly awkward. Now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, this is totally like if the Bare Naked Ladies were like a bunch of 20-somethings that like didn't know quite as much about how to make music. Also, there's a lot of, like, vocal ad-libs on the record, and they are very awkward, and I hate them. It's true. They are definitely, like, tossing in some just drops randomly because they feel like there's too much dead air. On the other hand, there is stuff that I like about this song. I think this song is really good lyrically. Again, it feels like it comes from a genuine place of a bunch of dudes who were very down economically and were just, like, lightheartedly fantasizing about, you know, getting out of, like, a shitty economical place. And I feel that's, like, really relatable, and I'm sort of sad that it's on top of a song that doesn't quite work for me. So I think, especially because you point out the Bare Naked Ladies connection, this is if you tried to do If I Had a Million Dollars, but not as a joke, just, like, how much would it be nice to actually be above water? None of the lyrics on this are about, like, you know, exaggerated thing. They're like, I would like to go to a party where no one has guns on. I want to know what the meaning of a Christmas list is. Yeah. Again, like, it feels like it comes from a genuine place because it's not... The, if the lyrics are sincere, the fact that it sounds like a kind of hammy, bare-naked lady sort of thing... It's just really dissonant. I, I could see that. I could see the ludonarrative dissonance here. I, I'm in a small town and I'm broke. Like, yeah, okay. I feel you, buddy, but I'm going to sing about it in a really, like, goofy, kind of hammy way. <laughs> it's like, okay, you do that, bud. <laughs> Directly after this, they're, they're going to take a break. Their next album will be two years later, but 
they come back with a much more refined version of some of this class struggle stuff they're talking about with lifestyles of the rich and the famous. And, you know, hey, all these rich people, they're always complaining about their problems. Maybe we should rob them. That's that's where they get to. With this being the starting ground, a lot more of that makes sense. Oh, also Waldorf would ride near the end have uh, Machine Gun Kelly levels of repetition. Everything gonna be alright now, repeated ad infinitum. That starts happening a lot throughout this album. If I wanted to listen to Everything's Gonna Be Alright Now, I could just listen to Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> over and over and over, they will repeat things. And really, you could probably cut about five minutes of this album if you cut every repeated chunk in the middle of a song. Good Charlotte, but every repeated word is cut. Yeah, good Charlotte, but you can only use a word once. The next song is The Motivation Proclamation. Again, guarantee this song closed an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. I can't find you the episode number, but I 1000% believe this played over the kids looking sad and Francis cleaning his bunk at military school. <laughs> this is not the track that I had in mind, but I could see that. This is one of my favorite tracks of the record. I think it's uh, the lyrics, once again, feel very genuine. It's a pretty decent portrait of depression. The pop tune is solid. And the only thing that I can say about this is that I feel that in the context of a radio single, if this actually made it big and was on the radio all the time, I would hate it. I don't think it works well if you listen to it over and over on its own. I think it's completely fine in the context of the record. I think it has a good spot, it has a good tune, it goes in and out, and it's pretty good, pretty good lyrics, pretty good tune, solid pop tune. They are very light on the punk so far. There is not a lot of interesting guitar work. There is not like a lot of heaviness in this. This is very, again, I say bubblegummy more in the sound department than necessarily lyrically, but they are very airy, chorus-oriented, like very light pop with you know some punk tinges but they are principally like a pop band i would say but yeah this works the second half feels incredibly reggae though yeah i think they're aiming for hip-hop i think they're coming off as white guy caribbean yeah i definitely got some almost sublimey vibes <laughs> off of some of this <laughs> there's definitely a few tracks that could have been messed up into a sublime b-side Looking at you, walk by. But for now, let's talk, you were talking about this track. This is a slower, poppy track, and it's cool. I like it. No, here's the thing. I think this is the second one of the singles that works for me. I think Little Things, I understand why it was the lead single. I think this is a very good catch people who wouldn't be brought in just by little things. You did something that shows you have more range. Again, it's very simple. Again, there's some repetition, but it, uh, fundamentally the song is like, it's about depression. And it's not, this is not AFI talking about depression. We're not talking about, you know, I am a vampire and the world is rotten. This is more like, 
I really cannot be bothered getting up on my bed, but it's not a green day thing where it's nice. I would actually like to be motivated, but I just can't. And it's just like, it's very subdued and like, again, fairly relatable. I don't know, it gives me a sense of, like, I need a nap even though I just woke up from one and, like, I'd love to get some stuff done, but... It ain't happening, <laughs> yeah. I think I have very different depression than both of you. I've never had anything like this song. Well, you know, my brains are weird. Well, I'm also a very self-destructive depressive. You're more of Machine Gun Kelly, we're more of Good Charlotte. Yeah, I think that's an accurate description. No, I'm more AFI for sure. <laughs> I think I am the Machine Gun Kelly of this trio. I too have felt incredibly called out by Eminem on at least three occasions. Coast Anthem. This one is the first one that feels incredibly, you could have cut this to me. Yeah, it is very much a filler track. It sort of has a darker sound to what came before and I think it's flow-wise it makes sense. You want something to break up that sort of you know, even though the motivation proclamation was lower, it was still very major key, right? It was still very, you know, happy in some way. It was still very upbeat. This sort of brings it down, makes it has a bit darker sound, a bit more, less chorus focused, more guitar focused, which is the problem. I don't think the guitar work in this record is very good. The guitar was like the good thing about this album for really? me. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the guitarist was the standout on the first half. Something changes halfway in. I think a lot of the guitar works on this is very uninspired, like, and I partly I think it's in the mix, because the guitar is mixed very low, but tries like a sort of like a, almost like a Tom Morello distortion solo thing here, and it's like very mediocre, <laughs> it doesn't really work, there's not... There's not a lot of crispness to the production of the guitars, and there's nothing much interesting that I could hear in it, but... I don't know, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was the weak point of the record for me. You've been outvoted. According to my notes, it is at Seasons where I start writing guitar mix way too strong. Really? So. Okay. Yeah. It's overwhelming the lyrics on that okay. one for me. Uh, the, I find that weird. I think in a lot of... Uh, might be depending on the version that we listen. Like on Spotify, I found the guitar really... Not, not even low, like really weak in the mix. Like it doesn't like the frequency don't punch through the through the wall of sound. They sort of like just bubble behind the vocals. It might be it might be an equipment thing. It might be a version thing. I don't know. I had the exact opposite. It could be. I should really start tracking when I listen to things on my PC with the audio setup versus I'm listening to it on the phone as I work. I do one of each generally. It's just usually the re-listen on the day of recording I do on the phone. With headphones. Festival song is up next. I 
I like festival song. I like festival song a lot. Uh oh. So, we are currently living in a time frame in which the British government is saying people who have education in the art to rethink, reboot, and get into STEM. And I think a track that talks about how he could be doing something else, but the future that they offer to him is not a future at all, because that's not what he likes is fairly subversive in the context of current world events. Hey, you know why it's also relevant in current world events? Referencing the Sex Pistols. This week of all weeks. What happened? Oh, did you not see where I think it's Johnny Rotten is going around Britain in a MAGA cap now? I mean, that guy's been a sellout for decades. Fuck him, but still. It's just when I start hearing the no future bit in the middle of this, I'm just like, boy, you chose the wrong idol. I don't hold it against the members of Good Charlotte. I just hear that and go, and it deflates this song. That is fair. And it's also like a band that a lot of people like Good Charlotte who weren't like into the DIY scene of the coastal California and shit. I, I guess I do come from a hipster perspective on that. Yeah, people with a less, you know, less California education on punk, that's probably punk for them. And that doesn't mean that they're good or that their politics nowadays are to be endorsed. Yeah, but uh, there is probably some value in how People like Good Charlotte or people like, you know, a lot of a lot of artists and a lot of people who listen to music maybe came in from the crappier mainstreamer side of punk with the Sex Pistol and maybe, you know, started a band or expanded their views on music and so on and so on. This doesn't make the band good, but it makes me, you know, excuse pop culture reference to the band. Maybe not in 2018, where we should know better, but... More in the 2000, where we didn't know better. <laughs> We're in 2018? <laughs> yeah, uh, Britain's been put on pause for a few years. You know, that's, that's fair. Sorry. Honestly, you could tell me it's 2018 and I'd be like, yeah, no, that, that tracks. I wish it was 2018. I'm under 40 again. God, that's nice. <laughs> Aside from that, this is a pretty solid song. It's another, like, fairly repetitive, but okay punk song with a... This is a bit faster, a bit faster, a bit punkier than other songs on this record. I think there's a big problem on the whole of the record where I don't like Gilmore's production at all on this. I start turning on it with the next track, but on this one, the lyrics combined with just a very uninspired vocal performance had me going, eh. Man, I like it, but I have a weird, like, socialist reading of this song lyrics. <laughs> no, 
I, I think you have a point. Again, I think especially knowing where they will be by their next album, they're going to refine some of the rough stuff on this, but it doesn't mean that I have to enjoy the rough stuff knowing that a better version is coming. That is completely fair. Yeah, that's that's it. I'm really curious how revisiting that next one will sound when we get there, because I know the singles on that. I wonder what the deep dive on that album is. But more on the production, I think there's a big problem where this is produced very crisply. It has like a very pop sheen to the production, but without any without any flair, without any addition. This is pretty much straight up band playing, but with a very crisp pop mix on it. I don't think this works. I think the mixing sort of drains a lot of the song of very direly needed energy. And there's a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of emptiness. There's a lot of sonic emptiness in the record, which I think a lot of this record would have worked a lot better if somehow they worked in some synths in it, somehow worked in some poppier kind of effects. Right now it's sort of the production, this stands in sort of a middle of the road of extremely produced punk that doesn't quite do the Blink-182 things where it sort of like jumps over the wall and goes directly into pop production. So it's sort of standing on the wall in the middle where it doesn't have the energy of a rougher production, but doesn't have the polish and, you know, attention of a more complicated and more articulate production. And it sort of lacks, it, it, it sort of drains the record of the little energy that it had. So I think the production sort of kills a lot of this tracks for me, but there are, again, there are a lot of good things about them. Well, with that, since I think we've all exhausted our take, do we want to hit Complicated? I hate this song, but it's still the best pop-punk song Complicated. <laughs> what are the other pop-punk songs named Complicated so complicated. That's pop-punk? Question mark? Well, that is on a spreadsheet. It definitely is. I think Avril Lavigne's debut counts as pop-punk. Every single Avril Lavigne record is on a spreadsheet. Have fun, friends. So... That particular song sounds more like emo pop if I had to pick between one or the other. We're also covering that. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Well, the Read Your Music tags a couple of Avril Lavigne records are pop punk, which by consequence means that we're covering every Avril Lavigne record because that's how we made the spreadsheet. Have fun. Huh. Anyhow, Avril Lavigne sucks. This song also sucks. Sucks less than Avril Lavigne. I miss Zebrahead. The songs makes me miss Zebrahead. This is the first one that I wrote, oh god, I've heard this about. Which is bad, because the next note is more reggae white guy shit. Yeah, this is the this is another very bare-naked lady song. And this is the one where I definitely heard this on a Malcolm in the Middle episode, although I cannot find any proof of that. 
what I can find proof of is that this was on Roswell or Roswell High, how it how it was subsequently named. I never watched the show, but it wasn't that. I always confuse Roswell with Kyle XY. Yeah. Was there like a boom in, you know, aliens in the popular culture around the time? Yeah, it was a bunch of people trying to rip off the X-Files for teens. Yeah, sexy aliens. The teens would gobble it up. It was the foundation of what would become the CW. Eyebrow waggles. And we all remember the original sexy alien, Dr. Wily, with the eyebrow waggle indeed. Look, the CW brought to us the best adaptation of superhero comics that probably ever has been of like mainstream superhero comics so you know that's fine for me i think legends of tomorrow is pretty good yeah and flash also pretty good even i accept legends of tomorrow (laughs) it's pants on head stupid in a way that fits the only like the weird thing about legends of tomorrow is that i think the first two seasons are pretty bad which makes it re it's one of the things that's really awkward to recommend it's just like uh, look, season three, just they changed the writers and it gets really good, but... Good luck getting there, though, bud. Yeah. Plus, if you describe individual episodes to people, they sound like shitposts. Hey, remember the time a psychic gorilla tried to murder Obama in college? A lot of modern superhero media forgets that superheroes are, like, dumb as fuck, and I feel that that shows captured that perfectly without making it a parody. Like... Those shows are like, this media is silly and it's dumb, but the good things about it is that we take we keep the silly and dumb, but we take it seriously. And it's just like, yeah, that's entertaining. So, speaking of parodies, I think that whenever uh, uh, Good Charlotte is trying to do their whole rap thing that kind of ends up turning into reggae accidentally, it honestly sounds like someone jokingly being like oh yeah i'm gonna do like an old school rap <laughs> what's up my homies my name is good charlotte and i'm here to say that i like pop punk in a major way yeah it sounds like that anyhow so complicated is more joe madden joel madden joel madden rapping which I'd rather not have. And then we go to Season, which is a mid-tempo rock song that starts like a ballad, but fortunately it doesn't evolve as a ballad. This feels like Aerosmith. I agree. I wrote this on my notes too. This is an Aerosmith grade mid-tempo mediocre song. I don't think it's bad, I think it's deeply mediocre, and there's a real lack of strong hooks on this song. I think this is the worst track on the album. Huh, really? 
I don't hate it, but I could see that. I think this is entirely passable. The mixing, plus, like I said, the vocal sounded worse here, plus the lyrics are tricked. I have the words disaster of a track on my notepad. I could see that. I could see that. I haven't looked at the lyrics closely. Any, any gems here? Laying in the summer grass, you told me not to talk so fast as I told you how I feel. The smell of fall is everywhere, and though it seems I just don't care, because now you've gone away. None of it really flows, but it's also getting overwhelmed by the guitars at different points, especially the chorus. And... Yeah, this song, this whole song is very, I don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to close my eyes, yeah. Do we have anything more to say about Seasons? I would want to not ever stop talking about this song, so let's talk about the next song. I don't want to stop. <laughs> smooth, Ellie. Yeah, smooth. Stop segue. Stop segue here. All these games you play, you're messing with my head. You're messing with my head. And I don't know why I say I should leave instead. I should leave instead. When I speak from my heart, you laugh like it's a game. Let's say no. Definitely another I'm pretty sure I've heard this track. I love this song. This rules. It's not bad. But it's a very upbeat pop rock song. It's not even pop punk. It's just like a bit sort of like that marching style of, of guitar work. And it feels like an OK Go song. I like it. It is also one of the most repetitive lyrical tracks. Oh, yeah. But it's fun repetitiveness. Don't want to stop. Don't want to stop. Don't want to stop. Don't want to stop. It says they repeat that eight times in these lyrics every time they do the chorus. Yeah, but it's fun. It's like very rhythmic, very... I don't have a term for that because I'm dumb. But yeah, fun. Marching band energy. We all know how much Fletch loves that. Marching band energy. Fun. Upbeat. Again, it's definitely in my top half of the tracks. But... Boy... Boy, it really grates when it just keeps repeating. I mean, the fact that, that one of the lines they repeat is, this has gone on for way too long, is ironic. <laughs> There's a couple of tracks they actually say that on, and I had to stop myself from just writing, yes, I know, over and over. If you're cognizant of it, why are you still doing it? And that's a line they do repeat five times. This is very much the point where I started really turning on this album. Mm. I also like the next song.
and then we get to I Heard You, which is another song I really like. This one gets props for me because it goes back to actual speed for the first time in a while. It's the really punky, poppy song. Again, nothing groundbreaking. It's like very standard pop punk, but I like standard pop punk. That's why I have this podcast. And it's fun. The scansion on a lot of the lines is really weird. I don't know if they... I, this sounds like, uh, you know, whoever wrote the music and whoever wrote the lyrics were in two completely separate rooms and then had to make it work afterward. And there's, uh, the lyrics are weird because it's all a song about, you know, some girl that doesn't like the prospective perspective singer and the singer is just like, oh, I don't want you anyway. But there's not a hint of irony in that. It's a genuine song about someone really intent of telling someone else who clearly doesn't like them. They, they, oh, they don't want them anyway. And it's, while it's very much clear that they do want this person, so it's, um, it would be a really funny song if there was, if the joke was that, that this, the perspective singer really actually wanted this person, but it's not. It's delivered completely straight, which is sort of like awkward and a bit weird. But musically, this is a fun, fast punk song. Yeah. I don't hate it. The music works for me. The lyrics are, let's relitigate high school, except upon finding out, oh, right, they just came out of high school or were in it when they wrote this. It's like, all right, you get a pass. Yeah. I think this is the first band that we encountered that has very juvenile lyrics, but like with a reason that like, these are not 25 years old. These are like... I'm going to let them get away with a lot more shit because of their age. Yeah, as, as much as I hate anything that makes me think about high school ever, like, well, I mean, high schoolers and people fresh out of high school are allowed to do that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, what, what else are you going to write about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it would be fun, given that a lot of, like, 25 years old write about high school in pop punk, if people fresh out of high school would start writing about middle school, just for... Or elementary school. No, that's where they look for dates. Flash! Oh no. Flash. <laughs> Alright, idea cancelled. <laughs> I get to make that joke because it's the good Charlotte week. <laughs> yeah. There are bands I can't make that joke about. I think one of them is the next oh, band. Oh boy. Sorry. What's the next song? Walk by the second worst track on the album. Rock and roll! Yeah, this is a very dorky track, including the fact that the singer shouts rock and roll, and he's like in the 2000s, where it's not really, it's not really a thing that young people should do. It is not rock or roll. This whole thing is just about, ugh. Sometimes girls can be manipulative. Yeah, there's a guitar riff that has an extreme like baby's first riff energy. It's like super simple and inoffensive. 
which pretty much applies to this whole song. This song is, I don't hate it, it's just like extremely bland and inoffensive. It verges on offensive, but it doesn't have teeth. Yeah. It's just straight up, this this lady's bad because she's attracted to me, but I've been told ladies can be duplicitous. I mean, depending on uh, uh, the age at which this was written, an adult lady uh, uh, being introduced to you might be bad. But then again, I'm not sure how much they can say about that. Yeah, it's it's very weird and lines like, I think he's trying to make me his son-in-law is like, hmm, I don't quite. That's a weird read, but I don't know if this is outright misogyny territory. Just like confused kid. <laughs> Chucky Finster would write this song and then he'd pull something out of his diaper to unlock the door. <laughs> okay, yeah. What else can we say? Again, second worst track for me. It's just so forgettable. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it either. Now, the next song is Let Me Go, which it's basically a lit track. It's like a complete hard turn for the sound of this record. It's a bit harder, it's a bit more alt-rocky, almost some grunge vibes, but mostly like in tone rather than in any actual stylistic um, constructs going on. But this sounds like lit. Melodically... It sounds specifically like the lit song about the car. This is the first time, I know it's not the first time on the record. This is the first time on the album I noticed them swearing. It's just like, wow, I'm grasping at anything here. Yeah, I I actually find like this is lit. There are the weird guitar flares. Um, what they lack is that lit aren't good people. Lit aren't great musicians. Lit aren't a particularly influential or interesting band. Lit could write a melody. Lit could write a hook. They would get better at that in the next couple of records, but this ain't it. There isn't a lot of hooks. There are a lot of, like, little flares, little things that they try, but none of them really works as a pop hook. And this is sort of emblematic. This is a song that's extremely distinct from the rest of the record, extremely weird and unique, but it's still very forgettable. And when you reach that, uh, that's not great. Yeah. Also, the na-na-na-na-na-na chant is terrible. That's not what na-na-na's are there for, my dude. <laughs> you have padded poorly. Meltface. <laughs> More than a few tracks on this made me want to drink from the wrong grail. I, I, don't, I, I don't have such a dire view on this record as you. I think it's uh, okay. I really think this back half needed to be chopped off. Just like, 
completely tanking the average. To, to use one of your uh, words, I feel like this album is deeply mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sort of rises above mediocrity. I think when it's good, there are... Okay, so my thought on this album, and I'll get to at the end, is that there are some really good things in it. Yeah. And then there's everything else. <laughs> they front-loaded a lot of the good stuff. And that's why this back chunk is such a low. It's like, yeah, take off. Yeah, 747. Shit, we crashed into the Grand Canyon. I honestly re-listened to the back half of this album three times because I kept on just not absorbing any of it. It's like, ah, I need to listen to this. I don't remember any of it now. For what it's worth, I think the gem of the back half is our next track. Screamer, Screamer is easily the part that worked for me, other than the outro. But, you know, that's the case on so many of these. The outro is just always sing a song, 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 fade out. But no, uh, Screamer was pretty good, other than the part where they started doing that over and over. Yeah, I think a weak point of Screamer is the riff at the beginning, which sounds like someone is trying to remember how this riff from Sweet Child of Mine goes and failing really badly at it. But on the other hand, it also made me think of the fact that a Screamer meant something entirely different in 2000. How often these days do you see little flash videos that you're clicking on and all of a sudden a goddamn horror movie picture comes up with the loud speaker blowing out noise? Oh, yeah, only on Halloween and April Fool's. And back in the 80s, it meant something entirely different. See? Porkies. What? There's a joke in that movie about a woman who's just incredibly loud during sex. That's it. Ah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the aces in the crowd, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> What's a screamer? Is that a video? I actually don't like Screamer. I think it's another, like, mid-tempo disaster. It sort of feels... Uh, this is another song that feels very Aerosmith-y. Uh, it's not my thing. Before the last 45 seconds, I'm fond of it. But once that outro kicks in and drags... Uh, I, I, again, I, I'm not fond of, like, mid-tempo slow rock at all. Unless it does something really good or really interesting. Unless it's, like... Jimmy at word, uh, just mid-tempo rock and roll that sounds like, you know, late 80s stuff is not my thing. And that fucking riff, which sounds like, again, bootleg version of the Sweet Child of Mine riff, it just kills the song for me. All right. I'm, I'm coming to notice that, in general, it's you and I who are disagreeing on tracks on this one, Ellie. And it's all the same ones, pretty much. If I liked one quite a bit, you tend to disagree on it. I think this sums up a lot of our tastes in the form of Good Charlotte. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> Good job. That's the perfect litmus text for our taste. These are the scales of our podcast. Which side of them do you fall on? And is there a balance? Adam is holding us both up in each arm. <laughs> I mean, Adam just hates everything that I make him listen this to. This is patently false. I like a lot of the things you send for me to listen to. Well, let's let's reward this. Adam hates everything that I made him listen to for this <laughs> podcast. I like some of the things on this podcast. As a former goth, I am inclined to love slow and boring. I love slow, but you need to give me texture. You need to give me, like, interesting instrumentation, interesting, like, droning shit, not just, like, Aerosmith. Well, his voice is the droning shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, I think we should change track. Huh? 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 Get it? Garrett, because the next yep. track is changed. Get it, Ellie. The name of the track Good is job. changed. Pat's head. Yes. Do you get it? It's a, it's a wordplay. I think you lost yourself to This sounds like whiny stained. This sounds like you kicked Aaron Lewis in the nuts and then made him record. Look, it's a pop ballad. It's like a pop punk ballad. It sucks. We already established this in the SR71 episode. Yeah, this is also on my list of four tracks you need to shoot from orbit. Yeah. No one asked for Good Charlotte to do a slow song about, I don't know, like love and shit. Also, everything about how much I hate the repetition comes to a head with on and 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 on Yeah. This sucks. Definitely. Definitely an optional track. Uh, and in the original release, this one was where they stapled on the final track as a hidden song. I think I liked it more than either of you did, but I still don't think that it's a good song. It was, like, kind of nice and slow. Good to fall asleep, too. Yeah, exactly. I was trying to sleep first part of this. <laughs> Yeah, if this were the final track, this would be a great track to nod off to. That's right. But then we get the final track. Thank you, Mom. He's not even singing. This is just a poetry recital. Look, I think this track is pretty bad. I don't like slow, you know, ballads with, like, spoken word almost on it. On the other hand, this is a song about how much the, the, the two brothers love their mom, which is extremely darky, 
but sort of heartfelt, so you know, I'll give them a pass for this. Sort of cute. Like, good for them, that's cute and all, I don't need to listen to it. Just, just sing it for just your mom, it's okay. Put it on a B-side. They were still doing singles in 2000, this could have been a B-side. I don't know, I, like, I don't, I don't feel like hating on this song too much, I don't think it's good, but... It's sort of darky and cute. I will not be cruel to it. I was also a mama's boy. However, in the case of my mother, I would just occasionally buy her a concert ticket and go to see a show with her rather than write a slow ballad that I didn't put in the effort to raise the pitch of my voice on. Sometimes I would offer to, like, watch the kids for a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this 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 feels a little bit like uh, more on the level of like the uh, handmade cards that you make for your mother for Valent or not Valentine's Day Mother's Day um, in like elementary school, and it's like, oh, that's super sweet, that's super cute. Not exactly the Mona Lisa. <laughs> Again, this this coming so quickly after their formation and basically being a polish up of their demo, I'm really curious how much the next one is going to be an evolution of this, because there's a lot of potential here, but it peters out way before the... How many tracks are on that next album? Let's find out. Uh, 14, again. God damn it. No, maybe they're 14 bangers. They better be 14 bangers. It's possible. It's very possible. Although, I'm very nervous about the fact that I just looked and saw one of them is called The Story of My Old Man. Rip. Oh boy. Hmm. Just what we all need. Yeah, no, as mentioned, this record surprised me. I came into this not really expecting much from Good Charlotte. Also, you know, always sort of like counting them out as, you know, sort of like poppier side of the genre, the sort of least interesting, but there's some good songwriting on this. Most of the tracks don't really work musically, but a lot of them have like some good, like sincere songwriting on it that makes them work. It's not technically amazing, but there's a lot of, you know, sincerity and there's a lot of them put into this record and that's something that I appreciate. The perspective is like a fairly well-realized perspective of people who came from a working-class background and talk about that background, and it works really well. A couple of songs are actually pretty fun, musically. I think there's a lot of problems with this record. I think the production doesn't quite work. Um, I don't think Don Gilbert was probably the best choice to produce them. I think Good Charlotte still hasn't quite figured out how to write a really strong pop hook. But overall, this record was a surprise. In the end, it is sort of like a 2.5 out of 5 for me. I think a lot of this stuff doesn't work, but I was expecting this record to be like a 1 out of 5. So good on good Charlotte. I am actually looking forward to hear what happens in their next record because 
Maybe I was wrong about them all along. Maybe they're pretty solid. I don't know. So, good news. On their next album, they have a new producer who has worked with Smash Mouth for their entire career. Nice. Yes. I think that in the context of now knowing that it is literally Baby's first album, it's pretty good. What about in the context of you enjoying it? I did not, but I also didn't, like, it's just like, eh, it's okay. Uh, if it, like, if I hear these songs in the background, I'm not gonna, like, change, skip the song, but also I'm not gonna really listen too close or be like, yeah, I like this. That said, do we want to figure out what happened after this record? Sure. much like the history because having not yet made it big we don't have to go too deep this will pop back out on the billboard charts during 2001 following the release of its final single and will again stay only for a week their label will come this close you can actually hear in my voice what my fingers are doing right now to dropping them and their drummer will leave to go play in the band wakefield but in 2002 they are allowed another album, and I've already talked a little bit of sugar about it. Yeah, so we'll get there eventually. But yeah, there's nothing more. By the way, when they resurfaced, I don't remember quite the position, but I think they literally, like, the record literally jumped back at the 2000th spot for, like, a week and then, like, dipped back down again. This record wasn't a success. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they made it in the end. Good for them. And in the meantime, we made it to the end of the episode. Shall we go to the ending bit? Why not? Same song, different chorus. This was the episode. We were, as always, gonna get out of this town, a pop-punk and emo-pop retrospective. I think. I think that's the correct title. Probably isn't. You can find our stuff on getoutofthistown.com. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com. We still haven't received one single email. If you don't want us to be complete losers, you should send us an email in, in the spirit of pitying us for being so unpopular. You can at us at ggottpodcast on Twitter. And, you know, if you want to listen more of us, you can find us everywhere. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, on God of Play. <laughs> I mispronounced, like, all of them, but that's fine. It's valid. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Please do it. It helps. And, yeah. Next up, we will talk about Newfound Glory. By Newfound Glory. Two self-titleds in a row. At least we're finally deep into, like, actual pop punk which, on one hand, is great. On the other hand, like I feel like this podcast is becoming less interesting now that we're actually talking about pop punk. I think it's going to be 
picking up in a few weeks based on the next spread we have. I know nothing about Newfound Glory. Maybe the next week will be a fun one. But we're going to start getting into returning classics with Green Day and the Offspring. We're going to have Dashboard Confessional come out with a very different sound. And a little after that, we have Alkaline Trio and Sum 41 before Phoenix TX returns. Yay! The Phoenix TX arc continues. Yeah, there's a there's a good arc coming up through the end of this year. That said, do you need to plug anything, Fletch? Nope, just find me at my usual one-stop shop, hellscaper.com, for all my projects. Do you need to plug anything, Adam? Nope, they're not allowed to find me on the internet. And you can find me as always at ACC the Moon on Twitter. And we do not have a Patreon, but... We're also not going to leave our room empty when you come home from school. So, you know, that's, that's the reason that you're not paying us. You're a child. <laughs> you're a little weak child, and you deserve us. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night. I've got the time to stick around I'll catch my flight Make like a pop pumpkin Get out of this town What's on your mind? There's no point left to keep your image down Let's terrify Little tweaks, little tweaks, your volume must go down.